welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. New Wednesday, new episode. Here we are. Samantha, Literally. how are you doing? Okay, how are we doing? Well, I have gone into a spiral. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a political spiral. It is a watching NCIS spiral. Oh, have no. you ever watched the show? It's- yes, but it's like addicting, just like the true crime addiction. It's so addictive. It's a dangerous, dangerous path. I don't like creepy crime. I don't like gory. Like that's not, you know, normally my vibe. And I've watched a lot of NCIS before. Like it's almost like a comfort show. And again, not my normal category of show. Comfort. There's like a romantic dynamic between like two of the characters. And now I'm like obsessed. I'm bought in. I just I'm so bought in. And but then like one of them like exits, and then I know they like there's like a whole dramatic plot line. Or like not even end. It's it's really it's the problem. So many slippery so, slopes you're going down right now. The true crime of it all. Brutal. Buying into a fictional love story. I mean, we've all been there. All I can say is like, there's times like, I feel like I'm such a hardo, but then like, there's other times like, I know deep down, like I'm a, like such a like romantic. So I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I lost my hands. <laughs> mm, so, I love anyways, it. Yeah, it's very it. annoying. Anyways, it's fine. Well, nightmares. something that we must address is something that you put mm. into the Girl and the Gov newsletter, aka the Gov Hub. Can you explain what's going on in the world of men at the moment? It doesn't look good. It does look hasn't looked good for a while. Like the patriarchy has taken them for time immemorial. But what's interesting about this week? is there the three stories, the three news stories that we include. We usually include like three stories that you might have missed over the weekend. So on weekend, we're like, okay, what's going in here? These kind of show a little bit of like accountability oh. for very different things. And I want to like say that broadly, but that is that is the taste of it all. So okay. first we had Andrew Tate, the world's worst of the worst, like mm. creepy male influencer dude that like misogynistic doesn't even begin to cover it. Like I don't feel yeah, like that's like a nice that's word to explain him. A thousand percent. And what's so creepy about him besides like, I don't know, being charged with like rape and sex trafficking and all these other things. Like he has created this like very weird cult where it's like, even though his particular account is down, it's like all these videos are surfacing. And they're so terrible. And there's all these like young men that are like listening to it and taking it into account. So creepy. But and it's just like, here's a playbook on how to hate women. That's a thousand percent. Content is. I don't get it. But Romania, who's had him all arrested and shit since December, decided to actually charge him with with rape and sex trafficking. So we're like, okay. Apparently, when I was reading about it, trials are gonna take years, it's gonna be like a lot of back and forth, but we'd love to see like this getting into the next ad. Wheels so we're turning. here for mm-hmm. In addition, Trumpy Trumpy Boy's first court date was decided for August 14th, two days after my birthday. So it's going to be interesting energy mm-hmm. happening right then and there. But nonetheless, that was interesting. And then I did notice in one of the articles I was reading about it, that some of the papers that he had were so sensitive that he wasn't even able to declassify them himself. Did you see the um, clip then, from his Fox News interview about the classified documents? I saw How like he... only a tidbit of it because they've been in a hole. But yeah, where he was like, Here I... before I send boxes over, I have to take all of my things out. This is why he kept them for so long and didn't okay. return them even when the FBI was like, no, give them to us now. He was like, no, I need some more time with them because these boxes were interspersed with all sorts of things, golf shirts, clothing, pants, shoes. There were many things. And then the Fox News guy was like, in Iran war plants? Like, what are those things doing together? Like, I don't get it. That's Please make it make sense. Also, just imagine like having to take like, just knowing like, those papers like probably touched his like dirty socks. 
I mean, those papers, just, those papers have gone through trauma. It's like, like I feel that they are lying, which is probably what it is. Or you just now look like an idiot. Why are you mixing your clothes with classified documents with classified information? Like yeah. you're an idiot. His, like, and also like, shtick, and, though. I think his end game at the end of the day is like, towards like his base like his people yeah exactly like, like, i and i think as long he, as he has he an thinks, answer that's like steers exactly. that steers and, away from what the mainstream media is saying about him and they don't care like they're like whatever he says goes and like, that makes which so is much sense i always totally. mix up my golf shirts and my documents <laughs> like like yeah classic which also side note golf shirts we they need a rebrand they're so ugly i really can't it's tell me about it so Were there any other problem. men on this list of stupidity? Oh, there was. Hunter okay. Biden. Hunter, Hunter Biden. Biden. And see, this is this is a classic we keep all sides accountable. Like, you did hey. something wrong. Like, look you, at us. You got to look at us. Look at us. So anyways, he did a little plea deal situation because he had two tax-related. There's some type of gun charge charges, as well. And there was. And I think it was tax misdemeanors. And then I forget exactly what the gun Failing charge to pay was. federal income tax. This is where I go, yeah. how in the hell did this happen? Specifically the tax situation. I don't know the details of the gun situation. I understand how someone could mess up doing their own taxes, whatever, a thousand percent, a hundred percent empathy for people that have like messed up some form and smid the wrong thing and somehow gotten themselves in trouble. Like admin, hard. But if you're as like wealthy or well positioned as someone like Hunter Biden, did you not just think, hey, maybe I'll like actually have an accountant? Or like, hey, let me just I, like text the IRS real quick and make sure everything's good to go. <laughs> like it's just odd. So, and then there's the, this gun charge that he illegally possessed a firearm while being a drug user. Federal law prohibits people who use mm. drugs from possessing firearms or ammunition. Although a federal judge challenged the legality earlier this year. I just love to know the story behind this one. Confused. Also, like, common sense gun reform, please, Joe Biden. <laughs> Perfect example. Honestly, your son. I mean, I mean honestly, cool. for so long when, like, Republicans and Fox Newsers and everyone is like, but Hunter Biden, talk about Hunter Biden. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Clearly, he's got some weird skeletons in his closet. But I don't know. How do you feel about just, like, the children of it all like same with even like trump i'm like if trump was yeah. like, a really good guy and president but he had these wacky kids i would be like okay well whatever you know uh, how do the children really how do you feel about them like actually i think damaging credibility hard. and it gets really hard there's nature and nurture it's like it becomes that argument it's like you could be the best parent in the world and parents to to your child and your child could still turn out to be a total wackadoo so, yeah. like, I think at the end of the day, like, your child is who they are. They are their own individual. And, you know, like, I, I think, what are you going to do? I think, so there's, like, that end of it. And so you have to, like, sometimes I think, like, people are like, oh, well, so-and-so are bad parents because they raised that kid. And it's like. Yeah. Well, it's like, no, like, how much just... of it is actually in their control, especially when this right. man is now middle-aged and, like, fully in control of his actions and what he does. And But then it's used as, like, this political weapon against Biden, but then which... But then you, like, look at, like, Trump's kids, who I do think, like, are total wackadoodles, but, like, in a different, totally different way. And it's, like, to not... Yeah. But they also did like shady business shit and like tax right. stuff, you know, like, but so did Trump because it's like, if Biden right. was doing it too, I'd be like, this is a corrupt family. This is a family right. problem. It runs the family. Totally. Not not that we, you know, know that Biden has zero skeletons in his closet, but like, at least we don't know yeah. anything that, like that about Biden. It's just something that is, seems to be following his son. But yeah, yeah, very interesting stuff in the world of men, both sides of the aisle, like we said. Always, always will give it to you, you can straight. See yeah. But even beyond that, we can get into our episode today, which is another fire one because who are we if not, you know, just providers of incredible content for you guys? So, Samantha, we, we are. I mean, look, our content, 10 out of 10, which, speaking of which, if you also agree, please feel free while your app is open right now to give us a little rate and review. But nonetheless, 
This conversation is with our friend Cindy, who's the executive director at Latino Victory. So one could guess, one could surmise that we talk about Latino Victory and their work in this episode, which we do. And a big part of that work is increasing Latino representation in government across this country. So we get into the strategies on how to do that, what they've done so far, and also like getting more people to run for office, like what that strategy looks like, also engaging more young voters. There Mm -hmm. is a wild statistic as to how many Latino voters come of age to be able to vote each year. I'm not going to say it because you're going to have to listen to find it out. That's Mm -hmm. all I'm going to say. But regardless, this is a fun conversation. And I will plug this. And not that Cindy doesn't do this too, but if you're considering running for office, you're going to want to for a sign. This is looking for a sign. This is your sign. And hopefully your final push to make the move and run for office. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Thanks to Cindy. Look, we have a great product as well for if you do decide to run for office and you help with social media, it's called hashtag viral. So go find that out. It's on, it's it's linked in this description. But regardless, before we even get to that point, I guess we got to get into the episode. So without further ado, here's Cindy. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the show. How's it going? It is going. I mean, we were in cold purple yesterday in D.C., so definitely keeping an eye out for the environment and making sure yes. that we are staying safe. Totally. What a what a week, honestly. You know, just a little apocalypse vibes for everyone, a little eyes on climate emergency that we're in. But nonetheless, we want to get into your background with Latino Victory, where you're the executive director. So just key things, just slightly important things. Can you walk us through what you guys do at Latino Victory? You know, what everything sort of looks like there in terms of mission and, you know, your core focus? Well, I I would tell you, Sammy and Maddie, before diving in, so excited to be here. Mm -hmm. So psyched about all the work that you're doing. And, you know, when I think of Latino Victory Project, I think of this ambitious effort that we have to build political power in our community, in nuestra comunidad, in the Latino community. And specifically, what we want to do is increase representation at all government levels and ensure that our voices are included as we drive this country forward. Mm-hmm. So the organization has a couple branches and we're curious about hearing about some of those and how they all function. So we see like Latino Victory Fund, the Victory Foundation. What do these branches do? And can you kind of give us a rundown of like how they all work together? Absolutely, Maddie and Sammy. And, and I will tell you, we are super ambitious again, which is why we have three different organizations at NNTT. And I also just want to highlight that we're all Latina women-led org. So we have a wonderful team that works together and we're always thinking through how to best mobilize, how to make sure we're developing leaders and developing our leadership and donor pipeline across the country. And so when you're thinking of Latino Victory Fund, it's our political action committee. It's where we work specifically to increase the Latino representation where we endorse, where we recruit, and we make sure to elect Latinos into office and also protect, right? Like, so if we already have Latino candidates that are already in office, we also want to make sure that they stay in office. So part of our work in the fund and the PAC side is to protect those incumbents. And our Latino Victory Foundation, we really do a lot of the awareness and the education, Right. Making sure that we understand the basics of voting. And by the way, also that early voting exists and that it's not just a pandemic thing that happened. And so for us, that voter education, voter awareness is key. And we also forget that we have so many individuals who are eligible to become a U.S. citizen every single year. I believe there's about 700,000 individuals who naturalize. And so our goal is also to make sure that as these individuals, immigrants are naturalizing, that the next step they take is to register to vote and participate in our democracy. Wait, that just flagged something that I 
just never connected the dots on. Like in my head, I would think like, okay, you go through the full citizenship process. You're like officially a citizen. And then it would almost be like, this is so ridiculous of me. You get like a welcome package. Like here's like how you register to vote. Like here's like all of the things that you need as to be like a, a totally like active, you know, civic person in this country and think it's like, okay, you're a citizen. Good luck. Try and figure. I mean, that also is pretty American to be like, good luck, figure everything out yourself. But that is interesting that you can become a citizen and then there's no like, here you go. Here are some resources for you. This is what you need to do to be like a fully active citizen. So anyways, little rant aside, how did you get into this whole, you know, fight and essentially, you know, trying to bring more voices to the table. Like, what did that look like for you in terms of political journey? Oh, my goodness. It's such a long one, Sammy and and Maddie. And I would tell you, when I think of our naturalized citizens, as someone who started in field uh, and also has worked in the nonpartisan, nonprofit sector, I've been at those citizenship ceremonies where when they walk out, individuals have tears in their eyes because they just became a U.S. citizen and then you have, whether it's the legal women voters or other voter nonpartisan institutions, they're tabling, making sure that they're becoming citizens. This doesn't happen across the board. It's, a, you know, like where capacity exists. But I will tell you that I literally get goosebumps when I think about this because people literally are crying as they're registering to vote. Right. And it just makes you think about that journey that they've had as immigrants to be in our country and to appreciate our democracy and what it means to be a participant of it. And I will tell you, Sammy and Maddie, so politics is not something I was thinking about or campaigning. I did not grow up in a household where my parents said like, hey, Cindy, Iha, when you grow up, I think you should be a politician or you should go into campaigns. In fact, they would have told me to go in the opposite direction. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's quite interesting that I, I I, really came into this. But I actually blame them, right? Because I grew up in a household where we did talk a lot about the politics, where we did watch the news at that time. You know, like it was the network news that you watched. There was no online. There was right. no <laughs> apps that you could follow. And so I remember every evening we would watch the news, right? And so we were very current. And I would always sit and follow the discussions that were happening among the adults and just listen in. And I found it fascinating. But fast forward, I had the privilege to go to a historical Black college, Virginia State University. And it was at Virginia State that I started organizing in the local community specifically around making sure that we restored the voting rights of individuals that had been formerly incarcerated. And, you know, at, at Virginia State, I learned so many different lessons in terms of, of the intersectionality of our different communities and the importance that that we have in terms of bringing people together and understand that there's so much more in common that we have than, than focusing on what sets us apart. And so it was about 2005, Sammy and Maddie, I had been a volunteer. I had been greeting people at the door, registering people. And I remember I was recommended to a campaign at that time. And it was Governor Kane or Lieutenant Kane who was running for governor. Right. And so I remember going into what I thought was just, you know, giving my thoughts and feedback at the whopping age of 22 <laughs> on what the governor should do in Virginia with Latinos. And three hours later, after talking to Bruce, who was the deputy with the coordinated, he calls me up. I'm literally getting into my hoopy car. And he's like, Cindy, <laughs> uh, what do you think about being the Latino state director? Now, keep in mind, Sammy and Maggie, I had never worked on a campaign. I had been a volunteer. I believed in the cause. And I remember saying, OK, if you're willing to train me, I'm willing to do it. Little did I know that when you go into campaigns, you know, you don't even have a, like a chance to stop and get a Starbucks coffee, right? Like right. because you are yeah. always calling, you're thinking about the next donor, you're thinking about like what next event you're having. And so it's always very fascinating when I think of how did I get started? Well, guess what? The governor, he ended up winning. And mm -hmm. so I ended up going into his administration and was one of the youngest members in his administration, one of the few Latinas in his cabinet at a tender age. And then what happened? He becomes the chair of the Obama campaign. 
And so end up going to the DNC with then Chairman Kane and then decided to come back to Virginia to campaign for him and his bid for Senate. And then after that, Sammy and Maddie, I, you know, I, I, ha- I was at an intersection. I was like, you know what? I want to go either into unions or the nonprofit sector. And part of it was that, as you know, whether you're in government or you're in campaigns or at a political institution, you're always either you have either the president's agenda, the party's agenda and the Latino community's agenda. And for me, going into the nonprofit sector meant that 100 percent of my agenda was the Latino community. And that's what sealed it. So that's when I transitioned to the nonprofit sector. And I've been in it since 2012 and really excited of just creating those moments and those changes in our community. Incredible. Such an amazing story and such amazing experience. I mean, I love it all. There we go. Well, we want to dive deeper into getting to know kind of like the Latino vote, Latino representation, and just kind of getting into all of that. And we want to start off with a topic around like just Latino vote really being considered like a monolith in politics, unfortunately. So we want to kind of first ask like, why is Latino vote treated like this? Can you kind of explain what that background is like? You know, we hear this a lot, Maddie, and no, we are not a monolith, right? We are very diverse. We're very nuanced. And we are also a community that is growing. And so right now, just to give you some numbers, we're at 62 million strong or 20% of the total population. And by What we expect by 2015 is that we will almost double. So we're expected to grow to almost 110 to 120 million Latinos in the country, which means that close to one in three or one in four will be of Latino descent in America, right? So there there you have the numbers. But when we think of the Latino community, one, we're very culturally diverse, right? And, And people often don't understand that there is a sleuth of countries that we come from, right? Including Mexico, including Cuba, including Puerto Rico, including all of Central America, the Caribbean. And so when you're thinking of the Latino community, we're also, although we are very much uh, a community that votes progressively, we also have Latinos who, who have forever voted for Republicans, right? So, like, let's not get into this myth that 100% of Latinos are Democrats. We're not, right? Like, we have a, a significant percentage that vote Republican. But just to give you a sense, about 60% of the Latino community is Mexican-American or, or of Mexican descent. And so that's very important. And, you know, we are also seeing that, you know, there's a concentration in the Southwest, but you're having so many more Mexican-Americans just moving across the country. And then after that, the second biggest community is the Puerto Rican community, right? And that includes Puerto Ricans who live on like the U.S., the 50 states, contiguous of the United States, but also the 3 million who are in Puerto Rico. And by the way, Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens because Puerto Rico is a territory of the U.S., And then, you know, we have about one million of Dominicans, of Hondurans, of Guatemalans, of Colombians. And so you have that diversity and there's also that geographical diversity that we have. And we also forget just the rich history that we have in the U.S., right? When we think about the Guadalupe Hidalgo Treaty and all the states that were annexed into the United States from Mexico. And, you know, when you go into California and you see San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, right? Like you have just the beauty and array of the Spaniard language that's also incorporated. States like Colorado that are like that are just fundamental to the the the, the tapestry of who we are as Americans. And then, you know, when I think of the issues, Sammy and Maddie, there's also diversity there. But I'll stop there because I know you have plenty of questions. No, I think that's really helpful to understand the demographic breakdown and just like how diverse it is. And I think when we come to like election day, we like see, you know, Steve Kornacki up at his board. That's like my go-to. But, you know, whoever you're watching on election night and you just see it as, well, the Latino vote looks like it's doing this. The white vote looks like it's doing this. Suburban white women, this. Like, 
it's really, you know, it's more nuanced, but it's like hard to get an understanding of really what that looks like when that's sort of the the picture, the narrative that's being painted. I understand like if you have a short moment on TV, how that happens, no hate to them, but it really makes it confusing to understand, okay, well, like what is this demographic like look like in terms of preferences and issues and what they what they want to see at the ballot box. And so I'm curious too, from an issue perspective across the board, sort of like what you see in terms of, you know, issues that are at the forefront, like what, what is the most important to some of these different groups? And I'm sure that really varies amongst, you know, the demographic breakdown. Absolutely. And and I will note also, Sammy, that four out of five Latinos are U.S. citizens or 81 percent, because there's also this perception that Latinos are immigrants, right? We forget that we have multi-generational Latinos who have been in this country for six generations plus that are U.S. born uh, citizens. And then we have a percentage as well that's naturalized. But, you know, when I think of the Latino community and issues, it's really the bread and butter issues, right? We know that you know, when it comes to the economy, it's eight in 10 Latinos feel that this is a top issue, right? I, I would say mm-hmm. that it's in alignment with the rest of America. And then, you know, what I would also say is that we are nuanced, right? Beyond like the big header of the economy, it's also the inflation, right? Like where we saw that, especially in the last two years. And I don't know how many of you went to the supermarket and you were buying like a dozen eggs and it was like five bucks, right? Like you almost like fell off their chair. <laughs> I was like, man, I have to cut back on my boiled eggs here because I <laughs> love my my protein. Yeah. But but I would say, you know, like, you know, healthcare, right? Like healthcare is such a big issue, especially because of so many of the different diseases that impact the Latino community from diabetes to heart disease to to just like all those arrays of things that really are impacting us long term. Education, another major one, like no surprise, right? And again, these are in line with mainstream America. But what I would also point out is that 75% of Latinos say that abortion should be legal, right? And so when we're thinking about women's rights and our body, the fact that so many of us support abortion and think that it should be legal. I think it's really important. And then I will throw this out uh, out there just because I think it's so important, but gun violence, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in 2020, there were about 5,000 plus Hispanics who died in America. That's about 13 people per day. So when we're yeah. thinking about gun violence, this is an issue that impacts Latinos across the country and that's very important. And there's also issues like immigration, right? And part of the issue of immigration is that so many of us know people who are immigrants. I myself am an immigrant and or have friends and family who are immigrants. And so for us, this is also a key issue. And I would also say, Maddie and Sammy, that like when I think of immigration, I also think that this impacts, for example, Latinos who are Republicans, because you have ambivalent, right, and stressed sideliners, Latino Republicans who make up about 48% of the Republican Party, where they are actually moderate on the issue of immigration. So this is a word of caution as well to, you know, some of those politicians that we know, Florida, Mm -hmm. as well as Texas, where they are, you know, trying to outbeat a former president on who is the worst on immigration, right? And so just keep in mind that we are keeping an eye on this and we know that there are Latino Republicans who, although align on some other issues. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. 
We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlinthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of pros custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. They're more moderate on the issue of immigration. Yeah, Yeah, I was curious about that. Also curious about like what you've seen or like some of the biggest misconceptions about this voting block. Like what do I guess the big campaigns and kind of just political entities in general assume about the the Latina vote that's just not necessarily accurate or obviously is like much more nuanced than anyone thinks? Absolutely. Well, I I love the fact that you talk a lot about dating and dating apps. And so I'm going to create an analogy (laughs) here. Love it. please. And it's, you know, like you can't marry us if you're not going to court and date us and take out Mm -hmm. us to dinner. I mean, like you have to invest some money, right? You have to start early. We're not going to show up at the altar if you haven't done all of the above, right? So don't show up at the last minute expecting... For us to vote for you if you're not willing to put in the work, right? Like you have to actually start early, get to know us, right? You have to court us. And by the way, you also have to get to know our families, right? Like which means all those issues that impact us, Mm -hmm. you have to invest. So you have to actually date us Mm -hmm. in some way. And then also, you know, make sure that you, you actually approach us and ask, right? Like it's not, if you're, you don't ask us to marry you, we're not going to marry you, right? Like we don't know who you are. So you have to make that like very, very basic ask of, you know, will you support me? But I will say that we are also persuasion voters, right? And people forget that you have to give us a reason to vote. 
Yeah. Right. Don't expect us to vote. You actually have to give us a reason to vote. And the fact that maybe your opposing candidate is like super bad on an issue is not enough reason. You actually have to invest and make sure that we're hearing that messaging directly from you, from the candidate and the party. Sure. I think that's like even very much a Democrat problem is that they think, honestly, most voters of color, they just need to mobilize to vote. And that's it. Just get them to the polls. But there's so much more that goes into it. You have to be thoughtful about, like you said, courting and understanding the demographics and making sure that like you reach them where they're at and like resonate with them. And yeah, I think, unfortunately, that's just what a lot of assumptions, how, what assumptions are made about different voting blocks. Like, oh, just get them to the polls and then they'll vote for us. It's like, no, it needs to be much yeah. more than that. Plus, it's also like it's something we complain about a lot, too, and that we're trying to like fix with our own stuff is like there's such a push within like the last like two months before an election day to get people registered into the polls. And then once that's done, there's like no handhold after there's no like follow up. There's no follow through either. Like, what about that next election? What about sharing like voting information between between times? Like, how do you keep people activated and engaged and also like that conversation going between who they just elected potentially and you know what's next and there just always seems to be this like drop off which is a huge issue and then obviously when you like bring it into different demographics it's like i feel like it, it creates a situation in which people feel abandoned or betrayed like wait so i just did this for you now what are you going to do for us and so i'm curious like too like in terms of like voter reaction that often happens with this demographic how does like this voter block necessarily feel towards how our election system works and our, you know, representatives at large. Well, I, I would tell you that the the plus is that we're in a democracy, right? And right. even if we have our own internal fight and making sure that we keep this democracy alive and, you know, I was happy to see the Supreme Court ruling this week and, and just making sure that the Voting Rights Act is very much alive. But, you know, like when I think of the Latino community, again, persuasion voters, right, which means you can't knock at my door just one time and then for the rest of my life, I'm going to vote, right? Like you actually have to keep at it. It's kind of like, you know, like after we get married and we vote for you and we're in a marriage, you know, you got to be consistent, right? Like you have to keep up with it. So like, don't don't think that you're just going to date us while we're dating before we get married and then we get married and you're just going to sit out. Like, no, you have to work at it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to make sure that we're very, very thoughtful about that. But, you know, like I would say, Sammy and Maddie, that part of it is also understanding that we need to hold our elected officials, regardless of party, accountable, right? Like once they're in the elected office, we expect you to work for us and we forget that they work for us, right? Like we are their constituent. We are who voted them in. And we want to make sure that you understand the issues that are important to us. And, you know, Guess what, guys? We have to call, we have to text, we have to email their office and make sure that we also do our part in holding them accountable because it shouldn't be so easy PC, right? Like we need to mm-hmm. make sure that yeah. you understand that we're keeping an eye out and that these issues are important. And by the way, for those of you who have worked in government or have never worked in government, they, they actually track the calls, the emails that each office gets on what issue. So yeah. if you don't think your voice is important, It's important, right? Like definitely like look up your member of Congress, look up who your governor is, look up your local state delegates, state senators, and make sure that you're also doing your part in contacting them. Now, I know you're wondering like, when in the world am I going to do this when I'm so busy just trying to like live? Well, I mean, like maybe it's like something you do like on a Friday afternoon, or maybe it's at the top of the week on Monday, or maybe during your lunch break. But Mm -hmm. I think it's also incumbent upon us to like hold them, hold their feet to the fire. Yeah. And then, you know, Sammy and, and Maddie, when I think also of just, you know, like this perception of Latinos, right, it's, you know, like this perception that we're we're like concentrated in just some states like Texas and California and Florida, right? But the truth is that Latino, the Latino population is growing across all 50 states, including Washington, D.C., And this is going to like knock you off your seats because I would have never guessed this. But as I was like doing some research, I just wanted to make sure to refresh also just like the data that I have in my head. And also just, you know, from the 2022 midterm elections, the fastest growing state in terms of the rate, North Dakota with 148 percent growth. 
of the Latino what? community. Wow. And then South Dakota with 75% growth in the Latino community. I know. Like I, I had the same That's reaction. Like big percentages of growth as well. Oh my god. Yeah, just like for those states that have like generally like smaller populations. That is yeah. Congress. Is there a reason for those states? Like, is there like an attraction, like maybe like a, I don't know, like certain types of grants people get, housing? Like, is there a reason that the Dakotas are growing? It's economic opportunity, right? Wow. It's okay. where there's job opportunity. It's where folks will grow, right? And we, you know, we saw this trend, for example, also like, you know, Californians moving to Texas, right? And or like the Northeast, like we're seeing more from the Northeast moving down to the South, partly because of the housing costs. Yeah. And so there's different factors that attribute this like population growth. But just so everyone is aware, we're growing in every single state, including our nation's capital. Right. So just keep that in mind. And and also, like, I, I think it's so important that, you know, when we think of a Latino community, we understand the power of our young voters. And, you know, when I'm talking to high school students and young adults, especially in the Latino community, every 30 seconds, Sammy and Maddie, every 30 seconds, a Latino in the U.S. is turning 18. Every 30 seconds. And what that means is that every year we have about 1 million more Latino eligible voters because they turned 18. Right. Right. And so also when I think of the power of our young voters, just knowing that we have that power to become not only eligible, but register and actually turn out to vote. Totally. I know. I love that. And we next want to kind of also get into like moving away from electoral politics and kind of into now they're in office, looking at our government right now, where it's at, specifically looking at Latino representation in our government. Curious where we're at in terms of Latino representation. And just like, we'll start with like the federal level. If you can like break that down of what that looks like. Sure. So when we're looking at Congress, we have 62 Latinos who are in the 118. Congress. And what that means is that there are 10 more, right? Like we grew by 10 from the 117th Congress. And, you know, of the total membership, it's about 11.5%. Again, so we're total population 20%, 11.5 of total Congress. So we have some ways to go there to reach that parity. But when we look, Maddie, just at all elected level positions, all of them. It's about 500,000 elected positions nationwide. We only hold 7,087. 2%. 2% of all elected positions nationwide. And that's of 2021. When we think of the federal government, right, aside just from like the elected positions, just the federal government in general, and I got this from OPM, it's about 9.5%. Right. So still some work to do to reach that representation level. And we absolutely live by the hashtag representation matters. In fact, you know, the reason why we we exist is because we saw that this was around the Obama campaign time where there was a Puturo fund. And what we saw in the campaign was that there was a need to have an organization solely dedicated to creating that pipeline and electing more Latinos to office, right? And for us, this is really the bread and butter of what we do. It's electing Latinos into office, but also making sure we're represented in government at the federal level and that we're really being strategic in terms of building that, that pipeline. And, you know, when you think of elected positions, for some reason, we also always think partisan, but Many of the, the Latinos who serve are actually in nonpartisan positions. And so, you know, we also have to understand that aside from like Dems and Republicans and independents, a lot of these positions are nonpartisan. And so for us, it's just really being thoughtful of how we grow that bench, how we grow that pipeline. And by the way, you know, making sure that we have more Maxwell Frost in office is very important, right? That he's the one and only representative at the moment, but we do expect for that pipeline to grow. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, he is certainly inspo for so many people in so many different ways. Yeah. Obsessed. Him and the Paramore situation of, I guess, that was last <laughs> weekend. He's like, oh my God, iconic, iconic, iconic. Can rewatch this 10 million times over. But that representation does matter. You want to not just see as a voter yourself represented in office, but you also need people there actually who actually have similar experiences or really understand something coming from their own perspective, being able to share that at the table. And that really does go so far because otherwise you have random people just making assumptions and trying to make laws off of assumptions without any of that experience. So I'm curious, though, to the recruitment of it all, trying to find people like the Maxwell Frost of the world. And, you know, maybe his story is a little unique in terms of how he got into things with Marshall Lives. But other from that, you know, how do you guys recruit candidates? How do you guys chat with potential candidates? What does that look like of being like, hey, you should run for office or maybe you're already in some office, but we think you should switch it out for this office? What does that look like? That happens day and night, Sammy. If you find me in an elevator, I feel for you because I may ask you to run for office or I may just be at a quinceanera and, I, you know, like I'll see, you know, like folks, I'm like, hey, have you ever thought of running for office? I love um, it. And, More of that. We have, yeah, we have to plant that seed, right? And again, I mean, like, I just wonder, Sammy and Maddie, like if you grew up in a household where your parents were like, Sammy and Maddie, when you grow up, you should be an elected office officer, right? Like, or you should be a uh, politician. Like, I, I feel like, you know, like politicians get such a bad rap, some for really good reasons. <laughs> but <yeah>. I think <laughs> the, the majority of them really do it because they want to change their communities, right? Like they want mm-hmm. to see themselves represented. And, you know, like for us, that process is actually like very organic. So, you know, like as we are at different events, as we're doing training. So like part of what we do is actually do candidate trainings and campaign trainings to make sure that we are running efficient campaigns and that we understand also ethics and compliance and, you know, like everything from the fundraising to the comms, to the field, to the marketing. We love all of it, right? And we want our candidates to also understand it. But many of them actually reach out to us via email, via our website. And send us an inquiry form and say like, hey, thinking of running, maybe not now, but in two years, some of them say like, hey, running now, <laughs> we love your support. And I think in the case, for example, of, of, of Maxwell Frost, we were among the first to endorse him. And we're still proud of that, right? Because he brings so much to the table. So we are also that entry point for many of our candidates where they feel comfortable coming to Latino Victory, saying they're interested. And then we really work together hand in hand, whether through the trainings, having that conversation, Sammy and Maddie. So like we get that inquiry form, what happens? We review it and we give them a call, right? We want to get to know them. We want to understand what they're thinking, where they're running, what the race looks like. And then we actually do our vetting process if they're already running and put it before our board. So our board is engaged in terms of deciding who we endorse as an organization. But let's say that there's a candidate who sends in the inquiry form and they're not quite ready yet. We still give them a call. You know why? Because yeah. they're part of that pipeline and bench. And we hope that at some point they will be ready to run. I will also say that, you know, when I think of candidates running, it's not only political timing, it's also personal timing. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just does not make sense at like that time to run for office, but there will they there will be a future time. And what I love and what we're seeing with candidates at this moment, Latino, Latina candidates, is that many of them, when they have been told in the past to wait for their turn, they're saying, forget this. We're not going to wait. We are ready now and we're going to run now. And so I am loving that transition that we're seeing where our candidates see themselves reflected and see that they are viable candidates. And then, you know, just a point that I think is important is that when we started in 2014, we were endorsing about eight candidates. Last year, we endorsed 87. Wow. Wow. And so that just tells you of the massive opportunity that exists as we look ahead and I just cannot wait, right? I mean, like, I, I feel like when you elect Latinos, it grows our economy. It is a movement that's happening in terms of making America build that opportunity bench as a yeah. country, but also the fact that we have some work to do, right? And we yeah. acknowledge it. 
Yeah, totally. for sure. I have to say I love endorsements from like a voter perspective, especially with all the nonpartisan elections, which is like there really are so many of them. And it's so hard sometimes to get a grasp on local politics, especially if you're like adjacent to an area. But you're like I have like I think Maddie and I are both this person for so many people or like the political friend. So you could have a friend across the country be like, so like, what do you think of like these candidates are running for my city council? And I'm like, okay, like, let me get up on the city real quick. And sometimes it's really challenging to do. And you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I like actually give them a recommendation? And endorsements are like the perfect way to do that. So like, okay, I know the deal with like this organization and this organization. Great. Okay. Like there could be some nuance. So obviously look into them as much as that, you know, person should, but the endorsements like set you in like such the right direction of knowing like where an org stands means like, okay, this is most likely like where this person and this candidate stands. So anyways, that is my friends. So helpful. I just, I also love the way you guys like field these like inquiries from people of like that they're interested potentially in running and just being able to like have those conversations, see why and when they could run. And then like, just keep the conversation going with people. Cause like you said, like, it's not always the right time right then, but to at least like be a resource for people who are considering it is so important because just need that follow-up of people like who are just the slightest bit interested to keep pushing them to make the move. So I love that you guys do that and prioritize that, but super curious what your guys' like goals are for 2024, what you're seeing, what you're thinking, what you're looking forward to, what are the priorities? Give us all the rundowns for this big year coming up. Wow, there's so much there, Maddie and Sammy. <laughs> but before I answer that, I will tell you one thing that I am like hyped about. Like, I'm going to be hyped about this all summer is that we're getting approached by high school students who Gosh. are wanting to run for student government or who are thinking of how can they be a part of the process. And so, you know, we're a very collaborative organization. So we're already setting things in motion with other orgs that focus on our next gen and who focus on our 18-year-olds and younger. But I wanted to put that out there because it's such a glimpse of hope, right? Like for me, it's just like having like our Latino high school students reaching out and saying like, hey, we're going to be running for student gov. How can we work with you? And I'm like loving it. Like it's all that for us. And so for us, that is like super, super exciting, Maddie. But as I think of like the rest of this year, we're heavily involved. It's an off-year election. Yes, we know. But we're actually like involved in a couple of states, right? Like we're involved in Virginia and we have primaries coming up in Virginia this month. Also, we're following like the Denver City Council race. We're actually looking at a a runoff that's happening in San Antonio on the 10th. And so there's a lot of things that are happening this year. But for us, it's, you know, I guess we look ahead is continuing to build that bench and getting to know candidates who are already launching their campaigns as as we head into 2024. And then for us, of course, it's full disclosure. We're a progressive organization. So we're going to be working really hand in hand with President Biden and just making sure that people understand all the great things that he has done for all of our communities. I think, Maddie, Sammy, what I love most about this job, and also I think I forgot to tell you, I'm two months in. I'm like super new. It's that, you know, like we get to meet really wonderful leaders. And right now I am excited about Sabina Matos, who is running and why she's important is in Rhode Island is because she would be the first Afro-Latina in Congress, right? Like, so even in 2023, we're still like shattering so many glass ceilings. And, you know, like sometimes we do it with heels. I personally like to do it with boots, my campaigning boots, that is. And so that, you know, like I, I think for us, it's really continuing to shatter those. But I think it's also focusing, being laser focused on understanding the nuance. So like in the past, we've had a program, Vote Like a Madre, where we focus on Latina mothers with Eva Longoria, who's one of our founders, and also looking at young voters, right? And looking strategically at peering a particular issue and turning out young voters, But I think also for us, it's really, really honestly getting to know the candidates. I mean, like I I just feel like when you meet someone that is very much what is needed for this day and time and that they have the courage, right? Because it it, it takes courage to put yourself out there 
for all the criticism that you're going to get, regardless of what party you are, you're going to be criticized. So like you just have to live with that. But for us, it's really getting to know these amazing candidates and even understanding that, you know, we're going to be protecting some of the candidates that we endorsed last cycle, like Dr. Galeria Caraveo from Colorado, who like who for us, you know, like it's wonderful because she brings in a particular expertise. But it's also thinking, Maddie and, and Sammy, be, beyond this election cycle, beyond 2023, beyond 2024, how we continue to cultivate and how we actually do systemic changes when it comes to getting more Latinos represented. So let me give you an example. And a lot of people don't know this. Our party chairs, right? How many Latinos are in those different capacities? I was meeting with uh, a Latina elected officer who was the only Latina who was a party chair in the entire country for Dems at the time. And that just got me thinking, well, you know why a lot of folks may be not party chairs? Because they don't get they don't get a salary, right? Some of these are volunteer positions. And point. when I think, yeah, you know, when I think of like who, like who is like just naturally like passed it out of those positions, many of times is our communities of color, right? right? So it's also really taking a deep dive, Maddie and Sammy, and looking at our institutions and what are those systemic changes that we need to take a look at, review and change so that we can see that representation there as well. Totally. We've been chatting a lot about that in terms of state reps and how different it is per state. Like some states have full-time state reps that have a like a full salary and a living wage and others, it's like a thousand dollars a year. Good luck. And basically it was originally you know, designed to be volunteer, which must've been nice. And like, I don't know what, 1805s, but obviously doesn't exactly, you know, work in today's day and age. And all of those barriers, I didn't even think about chairs and realizing, you know, that's like kind of a volunteer position. And nonetheless, though, in terms of actually practicing that position, that's a full-time job. Like the person that's going to have time to do that is retired, old and white, and most likely a dude. Like, let's be real. And so I'm curious what your perspective is in terms of changing that and like more of like the party structure itself too. Like, what does changing that dynamic look like? Like, is it getting funds from like the DNC, for example, to be able to fund different, you know, these positions as full-time? Like, how does that change? Well, I, I think for us, it's, you know, one, having those conversations first, right? And right. and making sure we are looking at every single perspective. We're, you know, connecting with Latino party chairs, Latino party chairs to understand, you know, like how it's working, the, the changes that they wish to see. And then for us, it's connecting not only with the institutions themselves, you know, whether it's the DNC or the DNC where I, where I used to work at the DSCC or the DTRIP, but also like working with individual donors as well as other philanthropic entities to make sure that we're thinking about this a long term, right? Because with campaign cycle, we are in this habit that, you know, like we only invest for this one time. Then we take a quick breather, which is like, you know, part of November, December, and then we're at it again. And so, you know, like for us, we're really thinking about this, like the five-year term, right? Like, Changing party chairs is not going to happen in one cycle, right? This is like a 10 plus year project in terms of seeing that diversity happen at those levels and also just happen at our different institutions, right? Making sure that Latinos are represented at the highest level. And I know we have a deputy director at the DNC who is Latina and making sure that, no, we have Latinos across the board represented in all fields. And so part of that, Sammy and Maddie, is really connecting with just a different leaders and influencers, and obviously the people that are impacted directly. For sure. I love that. Well, for those who want to learn more, who want to get involved with this organization, with the work you guys are doing, maybe somebody who might want to run for office potentially, where can people find you guys? What are some other like resources we can push out that you guys need uplifted? Just kind of give us that run through of how we can highlight your guys' work. Oh, thank you, Maddie. Well, I would say definitely check us out online, latinovictory.org. Follow us on social media. You definitely will see all the endorsements that we do. And definitely like donate, right? Like if, if you have the will and you want to support progressive Latino, Latina candidates, no, like definitely give to the organization because for us, it's really making sure that we continue to build that bench and that pipeline 
but also thinking outside of the box, right? Like, so we're going to be you know, like looking at how we also look at our high schoolers, right? Like who would have thought that, you know, that. Like we have like high schoolers calling and reaching out to us. And I would yeah. say, let me take that back, not calling, but emailing us and on social <laughs> Texting, media. DMing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And then, you know, like if you're like, if you're like, if it even like crossed your mind, like to run for office, run for office. And I would mm-hmm. just tell you that if you're a woman, we have to be asked even more times to run for office. If you're a person of color, you have to get, be asked even, even more times to run for office. But we need you, right? Like there's a reason why we want to make sure that we are represented and who better than you to be at the table with the journey that you have, with the experience that you have, with that like really lived reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I think also people forget that the median age in the House of Congress is 57 years of age and in the Senate it's 65, right? Like, so we also want to make sure that this next generation, whether it's millennials and younger, that we're strongly represented because we do bring something to the table, right? And and I want to make sure that if you're listening, maybe your parents never told you they wanted you to be a politician. <laughs> maybe they never told you you should be in campaigns. But I would say representation matters. Your voice matters. What you do with your voice matters. Your actions matter. And if you feel that like you bring something to the table and that you can create that change because nobody else is doing it, then consider running for office. And by the way, reach out. If you have any questions, like reach out to us at Latino Victory. We're always happy to chat. And obviously, if you're thinking of running for office, definitely reach out. Put my name in that subject line. And I'm happy to connect with you directly. I love that. that. Amazing. Well, thank you for running us through all these questions and being such an amazing resource. We are so excited for everyone to tune in and listen to this conversation. But again, thank you so much. Sammy and Maddie, muchísimas gracias. Thank you so much to you too as well. Thank you. Thank you.